0: Getting back to this thing about the, the, the Old Testament, as I said, we're going to be doing, uh, <clears throat> uh, we're going back and forth between the Old and the New Testament, and, and really, you know, for me, you know, it's amazing. They just went through that whole thing, but for me, I, it, I have to break it down or I can't not remember, like, that whole list. Uh, how many of you remember from last week, how many books in the Old Testament? Dave? 39. Thirty-nine. Just remember, that's the age that uh, when you get older, you always say, I'm 39. And you're, my mom, she'd say, I'm 39. And every year, I'm 39, I'm 39. And she's like 89 now. But she still would say she's 39. 39 books, and then how many in the New Testament? 27. 27. Okay, see, that's not that hard to memorize, and that's not hard to know. But these numbers, 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, really breaks it down for you. Five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Those are the major categories of the Old Testament. I'm still working on the New Testament, but I've I, I came up with uh, for the New Testament five, and then turned the twelve around to be twenty-one and one, the three major categories. You have history, and then you have the letters, and then you have prophecy prophetic okay so 521.1 I'm trying to break up that 21 because I have it memorized but I'm trying to break it up so it's easier to like get your head around it because there's there's sections in that as well okay but for the for the first five it's not really that hard you have um, the five books of Moses right sometimes they're called the law but it's really more than just law I want you to know that and we're going to look at those first five in a second five books of Moses, and then 12 books of history, right? And that history begins with who? Anybody know? Joshua, right, Joshua, and then goes all the way to Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther where they came back to the land, right? And then poetry, you know, Job is considered poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, You're throwing me off now. <laughs> Anyways, we got, we got Ecclesiastes, we got Song of Solomon as well. And then five major prophets, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations of Jeremiah, those two go together. Then Ezekiel and Daniel, and then we have the minor prophets where we can break those down into groups of four, and we'll, we'll get to that. But go to the next slide. I just wanted to look at the first five just because this, this is kind of like so foundational. And again, you think of the Old Testament, like how can I ever like even know anything about that? How can I relate to that? Well, it's, it really, it's God's word and this is what God has given us. We kind of need to know our way around it, like what it's all about. And, and not that we're going to become, you know, like um, uh, college professors and know all this stuff, but we kind of need to know like what is it about, right? And so for the first five... That first five, the five books of Moses, uh, Genesis. This is the book of beginnings, the beginnings of everything, creation of all things, the beginning of of mankind, but also the beginning of sin. But even before the beginning of sin, the beginning of marriage. Then later in the book, we have the beginning of of Israel and the nation of Israel, where Jesus came from. Exodus uh, is, is just what it says there in the title, Exodus from the Bondage of, e- of Egypt, and we kind of know about that a little bit from different movies we've seen over the years, although some of you younger folks won't have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments. How many of you have never seen The Ten Commandments? See, these young people are all going like, what? I thought that was, uh, you know, in Exodus. Yes, it is. But it's got a bald guy in there, so I, I really like that part. Um, Yul Brynner. So Exodus from the bondage of Egypt, right? And Moses plays a big part of that, right? Let my people go, and he, and he talks to Pharaoh and bring the people out of bondage in Egypt. The book of Leviticus on the end, this is where a lot of people start, stop reading. They'll read Genesis and most of Exodus, and they'll stop reading. And it, and it is pretty hard going in the book of Leviticus. It doesn't mean it's not important, though, but it's basically, it's the law. And basically what, what, it, what it boils down to is this. This is what God's standard is. And this is what shows us why we need a Savior. Ultimately, that's what Paul says in, in, uh, in the book of Romans that, or in the book of uh, Galatians is that the, the law was like a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ to show us that we needed Jesus. How about the book of Numbers? We studied that here not that long ago, right, before the book of Matthew. And it's really the book of the wilderness wanderings, where they, they came out of, of Egypt, right, and then they kind of wandered in the wilderness for like, how long? For like 40 years, right, because they wouldn't go into the promised land by faith. They had it, like I was saying earlier, but they wouldn't take it. And then the book of Deuteronomy is is also, and you see it in the title, where they're really... Uh, uh, Deutero is like second. So this is like a second law. It's like repeating a lot of the things in the law and adding some other uh, historical things. Now, a lot of these overlap. You, you know, they they not specifically just those things. They kind of overlap, though. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five. The five books of? Moses. Who can tell me why they're called the five books of Moses? Right, because we believe that Moses wrote them down. Now, we're, we're in the minor prophets. We're, we're doing a study in the book of Hosea. And Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. And he wrote during the time ministered, he served, God used him during the time of the kings, right? Which is during the time of the history, right? When there were different kings and and uh, who can tell me who the first king of Israel was? Saul, right? And then the second king? David, David right? And then what happens after that? Solomon. Solomon, and then what? And then it starts to split off, and that's why we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and when you're reading in the books of the, of, of the kings and chronicles, you see the, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, Again, I'm just trying to give you some background so that when you read, you go oh, like, "Oh, I understand what that is." You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have the names of all those kings memorized. I certainly don't. But, you, but some people have memorized those. Like, but, but to know like what, what is going on here, and that's they flip back between, between Israel and, and Judah, and those uh, the northern and the southern kingdom. So Hosea was was serving during the time of the kings, right? And his, the time that Hosea was alive was about in the, in the um, 790 to about 725 B.C. So the 700s, right, B.C., before Christ, right? To give you a little perspective about when that was, David and Solomon were right around 1,000 B.C. So this is like 250 uh, to, uh, to 200 years after David and then Solomon, okay? Just a little bit of background. Now Hosea, as we talked about last time, Hosea was really this living sermon. And the message was God's love is unrelenting. And and you remember the story, we looked at it last week, that Hosea, he, he married this girl named what? Gomer. And that's Gomer, who is an unfaithful woman, and really, the, the picture, it's a living sermon in, in Hosea's life. This actually happened in his life, but is also happening in the nation and the people of Israel, that they were betrothed to God, but then they are also unfaithful to God. Yet the, 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 the message of the book of Hosea is that God is always calling them back. God is always calling them back, and God is always calling you and I back. Look at verse 14 again in chapter 2. We're going to move very quickly. Verse 14, Therefore I am now going to allure her or woo her back. I will lead her into the desert, speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor or the valley of trouble a door of hope. And there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt Going back to the day, again, of the time of the Exodus, when they sang, they were so happy to come out of the land of Egypt. This idea of restoration, this is part of the message and hope and singing. And, and, I, and I, uh, I believe that's part of who we are here, and we have that on our opening slide at, uh, every Sunday, that we're a door of hope. We're a door of hope that God can take trouble in your life, in my life, and He can turn it into a door of hope. God does incredible, incredible things. Hosea, now, He's told to take His Gomer back. She had gone off and been unfaithful. And, and God told Hosea, Take Gomer back. And so He does. And we saw that he bought her back for 15 shekels of silver in Hosea chapter 3. And this idea of redemption is certainly seen there where God has, has redeemed us with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. The last verse before we begin chapter 4. It says, afterward the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God. And David, their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. There's yet to be a time of fulfillment for this, but the, the concept here is about returning and seeking the Lord. Let me read to you that quote one more time from James Boyce, the pastor in, who was the pastor in, in uh, Philadelphia, who's now gone to be with Jesus. He, he said this For what is the story of Hosea if it is not the story of ourselves? of that body which is the bride of Christ. We are Gomer. I keep hearing that in my head all week long. We are Gomer. And God is Hosea. He married us when we were unclean. He knew that we would still prove unfaithful again and again. He knew that we would forsake him still. He loved us and purchased us to himself through Christ's atonement, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're Gomer. Yet God's love is unrelenting. So we're going to look from chapter 4 through chapter 8. We're we're not going to read every verse. I'd ask you to read those verses uh, um, for yourself. We're going to look at some of the the higher and actually the lower points of these chapters. But really what begins to happen now is the charges are brought, the warnings are brought. Look at verse 1, chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. And this was the charge, the beginning of it. He says, there's no faithfulness and no love and no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it reminds me of our country. There's no faithfulness. You know, we're supposed to be, quote unquote, a Christian nation. There's supposed to be this huge supermajority really of people in our country who are Christians. But do you see it when you look around? I'm talking true Christianity. I'm not talking just superficial. Yeah, I'm I'm a born-again Christian, superficial, just a, a title or a label. I bought a newspaper this morning, but it's interesting. You, you can look in the headlines. but Mostly it's really on the news now where they focus on all this stuff and all the, the terrible things that have happened even overnight. You read about somebody you know, got shot and murdered, somebody got you know, killed, somebody robbed over here, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, you know, left his wife to go with so-and-so over here. You, you see it on the television over and over and over again. I got a newspaper this morning, and and interestingly, there wasn't hardly anything in there. I think newspapers are kind of like, well, we know they're kind of like dying, really. The people in the newspaper trade are, are hurting big time because no one's buying newspapers anymore. So I don't know if they're trying to do something different. But our society and our country and our state and the truth of the matter, even us, cursing, he says, lying, murder, stealing, adultery, No faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God, and that includes knowing Him, having a a true and living relationship with the Creator of the universe. We are certainly Gomer. Look at verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increase, the more they sin against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people, relish their wickedness, and it will be like people like priests. What he's talking about here is that the, the priests of the country, they, they had gone so far off, they weren't teaching the people the true word of God. They were living for themselves and only what they could get. In fact, they were glad when people would bring more sacrifices because then they could get more for themselves. It really is a a a a, a charge against the ministry, against the clergy. That they hadn't taught the people and the people were being destroyed for lack of knowledge. And, and what has happened to the church in our day and age and the church in our country? We've gone so far away from, from just teaching the Bible. What does the Bible say? Oh, well, we, you know, I, I talked to somebody a few weeks ago. We went to the church and they had this, they had all the lights and the, like the smoke show and everything. Or maybe they didn't have the smoke, but it felt like smoke. Um, and, 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 you know, they had this guy and he played this song and it was radical and everything, but it wasn't even a Christian song. And they go like, well, what is it all about? Well, where's the Bible? Did you even open the Bible? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And, and, you know, used to be that the pulpit would be a place where the truth would come forth and the truth that would, that would define who we are as a country and as a nation and as a people and as believers Are things any different today than what they were then? I don't think so. Look at verse 16, chapter 4. He said, The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Another charge He brings there is this stubbornness, you know. You and I How many of you can say, you know, I've never been stubborn? I don't even know what that word means. Me, stubborn? No. Me, stubborn? No. You know, we just keep going on and on. We just prove it to be true. Me? I've never been stubborn. Ask my wife. Don't. Please don't. Zechariah says, they refuse to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turn their backs... And stopped up their ears, they made their hearts as hard as flint, and would not listen to the law, to the words of the Lord Almighty, that the Lord Almighty had sent by his, by his spirit through the prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, he said, they did not listen, so when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. Remind me of the story, and I, I, I've read this story before, where the captain of the ship, he looks into the dark night, and he sees out there some faint lights. In the distance, and and so he tells his signal signal man to uh, send a message, you know, to this these lights out there, and he tells them to you know to change your direction ten degrees south, and the message comes back, no, change your direction ten degrees north, and the captain keeps you know he's angry now. He says, you know, that, that they haven't they've ignored his command. Who do they think they are? Don't they know who I am? So he sends another message, alter your course 10 degrees south. He says, I am the captain. And soon another message was received. He says, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman third class. Finally, he sends a third message. He's so angry, he's so stubborn, he's so fixed in his his direction. He He says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And the reply comes back back to him, Alter your course ten degrees north, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying here? We can so stubbornly think we're doing the right thing, going the right direction, and God's saying, You better you better listen up. You're heading for disaster. That's what Hosea was saying here. That's what God's word is telling the people of Israel, and God's word is telling us too, but but are we listening? Or are we like in Psalm 32 where he says, I I will instruct you and teach you, but he says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. You and I, we're rebellious. We're stubborn. Look at chapter 5, verse 4 says, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Again, the message, 22 times the word return is in this book. 22 times return, return, return. You're going off on your own. You're doing your own thing. You're going your own way. And it's not just them. It's you and me, too. We do it. We do it sometimes more than once a day. We're going off our own thing, our own thing, our own thing. He says, return, return, return. And And He says here, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Does that remind you of a verse in the New Testament? This is the verdict, says in John chapter 3, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They wouldn't come to the light because their deeds were evil. Look at verse 13, Hosea chapter 5. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you. He is not able to heal your sores. In fact, later on, Assyria would be their very downfall. But this is one of the charges as well. Not only... You know, being stubborn, rebellious, but going to others for help. When we, rather than returning to God where the answers truly are, we go all different kinds of places. We go for this kind of, you know, solution and that kind of solution. He says, turn back to God. That's the answer. Don't go out here, go out there. How about verse 15, chapter 5? Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt. And they will seek my face, and in their misery they will earnestly seek me. This is a place of repentance. This is a place of 1 John 1, verse 9, where we confess our sins. And we go to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We admit our guilt that we've done wrong. We seek his face. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us, that we may live in His presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. Press on to know Him. Let us return to the Lord. There's a little bit of question mark about these verses, whether it was Hosea saying these things or God saying this is what you need to do or is it the people saying these words? And as we'll see in the next section, there, there's something qu- kind of missing there. Oh, let's go back to the Lord. Let's go back to the Lord. And this is what we need to do. But look in verse 4. It says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. We can say, yeah, let's return. Let's go back to God. But, but it's not lasting. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's just like mist. You know, in, the, in certain times of the year, you get up and, and you look out, and there's all this dew on the ground, but in an hour or two, it's gone. Is that what our commitment is like? Is that what our, our relationship with God is like? Is it only just a little bit of time, maybe in the morning, and then it just evaporates and goes away? Come, let us return to the Lord. How about chapter 7, verse 13? See, I told you we're going fast. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. Straying away from God, rebelling against Him. But look at the last part of this verse. I long to redeem them. I long to redeem to redeem them. Again, this is the message about God. Though we stray, though we rebel, though we speak lies against Him, though we go our own way, God is longing to redeem us. He's always longing, always wanting, always calling. That unrelenting love of God. Because he, He's not surprised by us. He He knows that we're Gomer. He knows who we are. He knows what we're made of. He knows we're just dust and dirt and 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 we we go and do our own thing. He knows. Look at verse 14, chapter 7. They do not cry out to me from their beds or from their hearts, but wail upon their beds. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? They don't cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail upon their beds. They're wailing. God help me and all this stuff, but there's really there's, the heart isn't involved in it at all. It's just like help me, I'm in trouble, but not help me because I need you. Verse 16, they do not turn to the Most High. Return to me, he says. Chapter 8, verse 1 Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. What does that speak about there, this trumpet? eagle flying over the house of the Lord. The trumpet obviously it's a, it's a, a warning. It's a symbol of warning when, when someone you know, blasts out the trumpet that you, you better pay attention. Something is going on here. And the eagle over the house is actually Assyria. The one they had gone to to help. To get help from. Assyria now over the house of the Lord ready. And it wouldn't be that many years. The truth is, it would not be that many years. In 722 B.C., they say Hosea went to about 725. In 722 B.C., Assyria came in and and took the northern kingdom into captivity and took most of them away. Put the trumpet to your lips. Verse 2, Israel cries out to me, O our God, we acknowledge you. Just words though, huh? Look at verse three. But Israel has rejected what is good, an enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent, and they choose princes without my approval. We can cry out, but but, but our, our hearts not really be in it. Doing our own thing, setting up our own kings going our own way. And finally, the last verse I want to look at today in verse 7. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. They sow a little bit, but a big comes. I remember hearing Billy Graham use these words. It's stuck in my head. I can hear him saying it. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. That's what's going on in this country. That's what's going on in in, in the human race. We're sowing the wind and we're going to reap the whirlwind. Certainly the nation of Israel, they, they sowed to themselves and they were going to reap from it. In exile, this captivity was certainly coming after many, 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 many warnings. God was warning them, don't go that way, don't go that way. Come back to me. This is where truth is. This is where life is with me. Turn with me to the New Testament Galatians, chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There's a lot of deception out there. You know, it really doesn't matter what you do, it really doesn't matter the kinds of life the kind of life you want to live it really doesn't matter as long as you're happy as long as you're not you know necessarily hurting someone else it doesn't matter what you do do not be deceived god cannot be mocked it's a spiritual principle that is unchangeable that what we sow we will reap Verse 8, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, sometimes it just seems like, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to sow the right kinds of things in my life, but I'm, I'm not seeing any fruit of it. I'm not seeing any good things happening. Don't give up. Keep doing the right thing. The fruit will come. That's what he says here. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Keep doing the right things. It doesn't matter what all the rest of the world around us is doing. If, if they're saying, well, this is okay. It doesn't matter if you do this. It doesn't matter if you do that. It does matter according to God's Word. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. So the message again, and I got one more study in the book of Hosea, is really to return and seek the Lord that that God is longing to redeem us. That's the message. He's longing. That's what God's heart is. I long to redeem them and please come back to me. One more uh, passage we'll look before we close. Luke chapter 15. You all know this passage. I know that you do. But let's just read some of the verses there. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Because Jesus gave the same message, didn't he? Return. The son, you know, son had it all. And he left and went out to do his thing. He went to spend it and, and spent to live in riotous living and all kinds of, of wicked stuff. But it says in Luke chapter 15, look at verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, some verses say when he came to himself, when he kind of realized, what in the world am I doing out here? I'm out here with Pigs. I can't even eat what the pigs eat. It's so bad. How did I end up out here? Well, it was because of the choices that he had made, his own choices. The father didn't send him out there. He made his own choices. The father allowed him to go. But look at verse 20. This is the most incredible thing. This is the absolutely incredible. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, look what it says: His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Is that phenomenal? Is that incredible or what? He didn't say, you know, well I'm glad you came back. You know, it's about time. You know, you're you're such an idiot. You know, I warned you not to go out there. I warned you that it was going to be bad. He didn't do any of that. It says he was, he was looking. He, he, it says his father saw him when he was a long way off. And In other words, when you, when you see that picture, his, how could his father have seen him when he was afar far off, a long way off, unless what? Unless he was watching, he was looking, he was scanning the horizon to see. When is my son going to return? He's watching, he's looking, and, and, and it's no different for you and me. He's watching, he's looking, he's, he's longing for us to return to him. It says he saw him, and when he finally saw him, he was, he was overcome with compassion. He, he ran to him. He ran to his son. I mean, do you get this picture here? This is the heart of God. This is the heart of the Father. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. That's incredible. That, that should bring us to, to tears, thinking about the Father, so much love that he had for that son. He knew what the son did. He knew what all the stuff that he'd been involved in. He knows you and I. He knows where we've been. But he's watching. He's waiting. He's looking. And when he saw him, he ran with compassion, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. We are Gomer. We do that, too. Maybe, maybe right now you're, you're in a good place, and that's great. But you know what? We're human, and we go off, and we do our own thing. But God is calling us back. That's the message. I want you to remember this message of Hosea, that God is calling us back again and again, and again. He's not unaware. We've just been reading some of this stuff, and there's a lot more there in the verses of Hosea that we went through, that he's not unaware of how bad we are and the things that we've done. He's not unaware of it, but his heart is that he wants to redeem us, that he wants to bring us. He wants to throw his arms around us and kiss us and say, my son, my son, I'm so glad you came back. He says later in that chapter, the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found, so they began to celebrate. God's longing, he's looking, he's waiting, he's watching. Hosea, Hosea, remember that. When you find yourself out somewhere, think, you know what, I'm Gomer. I'm Gomer. I got to get right. I got to get back i got to return. i got to seek the face of God. And just remember that, that he's waiting, he's watching, he's looking, and he wants you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your incredible word. And, and though we, we just try to understand it the best we can, we know that it, it tells us about who you are, the, the heart of God, that you're watching, you're looking, you're waiting, you're calling. The hound of heaven has been said at different times. You're calling us to, to return to you, even if, we've, even if it's a momentary small lapse or maybe it's something huge and we've just wandered off and you say, come. Now is the time to worship. Now is the time to return. Come back to the shadow of the cross. Come back. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know who you are, where you are. Let's just take a few moments now in the quietness of our own hearts and just call out to him and say, God, I'm Gomer and I'm here and I can't believe that you would just put your arms around me and kiss me, but that's what your word says. That you would run to meet me. That you would restore me. That you would make that door of hope in this valley of trouble in my life. Just talk to him, speak to him. Father God, we adore you, we thank you. We give our hearts in worship to you because you are worthy, because you are such a great and awesome God and wonderful and loving Father. Father, we hear the prayer that you, sent your son to die for us, to buy us back from slavery, from bondage. Maybe this morning you you just do not know Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him at all. While we pray right now, simply open your heart and life to him. I'll give you this opportunity. Today, July 15th, 2012, to simply surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ and say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm lost. And I need forgiveness and I need hope. And so I come to you and I I put my heart in your hands. And I say, forgive me and heal me because of what you did on that cross. That you gave your life for me. That you rose from the dead for me. I put my trust in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song, shall we?